0: Uh, last time we left off with Paul and Silas, and Timothy and Luke, they were in Philippi, and they had gone down to the river to a place of prayer where there were these women who clearly were, they were either Jewish, or at least one of them, at least, was a called a, a worshiper of God. And we discussed how that title was given, probably referring to someone who was uh, a convert from paganism to worship the one true God of Israel, um, but was not a full convert. And so she wouldn't have participated in the different ceremonies and, and festivals. And, and if there, there was a synagogue, the, the idea that there is this place of prayer there down by the river kind of suggests that maybe there wasn't enough men in Philippi to have a synagogue. And so these women met there for pray for prayer. But if there was a synagogue, she probably would have only been able to, even, even, even when you consider the fact that she was, she's a woman, still, even then, still only able to participate uh, with a, a limited amount of, of participation. But as Paul talked to her, the Lord opened her heart that she would receive what Paul was saying, and so she trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was the first thing we saw about her when she trusted in Christ? She was baptized, yes, thanks. (laughs) Just her? Only her? No, her whole household, right? And so we discuss, we'll, we'll talk about what different ones say about the whole household being baptized, and we were going to wait till we saw that again, which, which is where we're at today. So, uh, Lord willing, with our time, we'll, we'll get to talking about the whole household being discussed, and what, what's some of the debate there. Um, but, then as Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they left the river, they met with this slave girl, right? And uh, she was possessed by a demon, and through that demon, she, was, she did fortune-telling for people. There was a deception going on there. And through that, then, her slave masters made money off of her. And uh, she, she followed Paul and his companions around, and specifically followed Paul around for days, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And we discussed all that, right? But as she did this for a few days, eventually Paul was burdened and disturbed by this, and so on the authority of Jesus Christ, he cast out the demon. And so this led to Paul and Silas ending up in prison, as the girl through the demon again. She was making money for her slave owners, and now they were not able to exploit her anymore, which, oh, <laughs> right, our heart breaks for them. <laughs> they can't exploit this, this awful situation that this girl had. Um, and so they, they have Paul and Silas, probably because they were seen as the leaders of the group, dragged before the magistrate, and they, they claimed uh, all of these things about them, these trumped-up charges, and, and were pushing, in, probably an anti-Semitism, saying that they advocated customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And again, was that really their concern? No. They were just angry. They couldn't make money off this girl anymore. And so, Paul and Silas are stripped, beaten with rods, and thrown safely in the inner cell of this prison, in stocks, All right? And so, that's where we left off. And so, let's pick up the text here, again, together, in verse 25, we're going to read on through verse 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly they were there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembled with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with the, his entire household that he had believed in God. All right. So as we pick up this text, again, it's about midnight, and what were Paul and Silas doing? Praying and singing. Now think of yourself in a spot like that, right? You've just been beaten with rods. You're in pain. Uh, maybe you got some internal bleeding or something. And you're there in that prison cell, and who knows what daybreak is going to bring, right? Who knows what's next for you? You're clearly not liked by the magistrate. And so you're sitting in this cell in stocks, and what can you do? Fret and worry about what happens in the morning. Right? Think about all of these what-if scenarios that could take place. Right? Just cry out, why me? Why does such things have to happen to me? Right? That's what we would do. It's probably what I would do. But what does Paul and Silas do? They pray... And they sing. They sing to God in their dire situation. They focus not on all the what-ifs and and how bad their situation is and, and just the hopelessness that they feel. No, they look to God. They trust in Him. They depend upon Him. And instead of focusing on themselves and their situation, they sing and focusing then their thoughts on God and all that He is and whatever truth those hymns would be proclaiming. That's what they do. And so you and I, in our dire situation, should be doing the same. We're actually in sin when we let our mind get all wrapped up in all of the what-ifs. But we're actually in sin as we focus on ourselves and are hopeless, never looking to God, and trusting in Him. We're called to trust him, to trust in his circumstances. And so, too, whatever, I don't know, whatever you're going through, whatever it may be, I would encourage you, look, look at how David in the Psalms trusts God, how he works through that and, and, and directing his thoughts. He doesn't always start off with the right thoughts, right? Sometimes he's crying out to God saying, I, I, you, you've abandoned me. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like you're here. You don't hear me when I cry to you. I don't see you doing anything. What's the deal? There's a couple psalms like this. But then as you keep reading through, what do you get? I will trust in your loving kindness. I will remember your goodness. Again, like we've said other times, God was faithful then, so what can we trust? He'll be faithful now. And we depend upon Him in prayer, direct our thoughts and singing and song and all of these things, going to Scripture. That's what we should do. And that will direct our hearts and fasten how we respond to our circumstances. And then, who knows how God is going to use us in our circumstances? Because who knows what God's plan is for our circumstances? Apart from special revelation, Paul and Silas could have no idea what God was going to do in their circumstances here. But, I'm sure you know the story, was God going to do something in their circumstances? Yes! Yes! Did he have a purpose for them being in that cell at that time? Yes. And so whatever your circumstance is, God has a purpose in it for his good work to be accomplished. Now, you may go through your circumstance and never know or recognize what that good work is, other than being able to look and say, he made me more like Christ through it. He grew me and matured me through that pain and suffering. But who knows all the things that God... Is working through whatever the circumstance he puts us in. That we should trust him through it, and then when we get to eternity and he puts on display all the ways that he has glorified himself, we will bow down and say, Yep, yes, our life should have been all about you. It's only right because look how great and glorious you are. Look at all your good deeds. And so we must trust him. And all that is. And so again, they're they're praying and they're singing. And what's going on around them while they pray and sing? Other prisoners are listening, right? Yeah. And so, too, as we respond to our circumstances rightly and the way God would call us to, who knows what kind of witness we're being to those around us. And how our lives are demonstrating that our God, who we claim to follow, is worthy of our trust. And so the testimony of our lives can be in our circumstances. And so we, we should look always to him, trusting him and responding rightly to glorify him in our, our circumstances. And then the next thing we read here in the text is that there's what? A massive earthquake, right? Now, if you look at the history of this area, you find out that earthquakes were actually pretty common there in that section of the world. And so it's really not a surprise that there's this earthquake. Um, but, as you look at the timing of it, and some of the other things that come about because of the earthquake, it is evident the divine supernatural working through this earthquake, right? Now, two, whatever things that we see that happen in nature, and we can say, oh, that always ha- there's always earthquakes in oakland california right we, we can say that and there's always you know i don't know whatever there's hurricanes that hit florida all the time right and we can say all oh, these are just the natural processes of of nature and the things that happen but yet god is in control of all of those things and even in these natural processes of things that happen what is god doing working out his purposes is he not in control of the earthquakes that happen in California all the time? Is he not in control of the hurricanes that hit Florida all the time? Is, is, is he not in control? Or does he just let nature go and run its course however he made it? No, everything really, in a sense, is supernatural in the sense of God's sovereign control over everything. And that he is purpose in it. And so, too, whatever you want to think about this earthquake here in an area where earthquakes happen quite often... Unless God had purpose in it and was using it and did supernatural things through it, as we see here. What happened with this earthquake? The foundation of the prison shook. Okay, well, it's an earthquake, (laughs) right? What else? The door is open, right? Yeah. And the prisoners' chains fell off. I don't know how hard the ground would have to shake to cause the keyhole in their fetters to turn, (laughs) right? And, And they would just pop off. Oh well, again, these are supernatural things happening, right? This is clearly God at work in all of this, doing his purposes. And so even though the prison doors fly open and the, the chains fall off, where do the prisoners go? Nowhere. Nowhere. But the jailer didn't know that. He apparently was sleeping which is problem number one for him, right? He probably recognizes, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And he gets up and he looks, oh, I'm in big trouble because what? The doors are open. And so he makes the assumption that the prisoners run, and so he draws his sword to kill himself. Why would he do that? It's kind of an odd progression of the story, right? Any thoughts? Anybody know? Okay, right, exactly. So the penalty for one who is in charge of, uh, of prisoners... If the prisoner escaped under your watch, uh, you died instead of the prisoner being there, and so it meant your life. And so instead of worrying about, okay, I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to probably be, I'm going to have to wait and, you know, whatever the death penalty was at the time, instead of having to suffer through that, I'm just going to end it now, and not have to worry about it. And so he draws his sword to kill himself. And then we read there, in verse 28, Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. All right, so again, we see these supernatural things happening, and if the doors are open and the chains are gone, you would expect the prisoners to flee, but they don't. And Paul says, we're all here. And so the guard who was just about to kill himself, seeing no escape... It's clear to him this, this there's a miracle that happened. And again, uh, the jailer knew something now. There, there's something that's evident to him. And, and in the despair of just about to take his own life, he recognizes there's something he needs. And he knows somehow that Paul and Silas has what he needs. And whether that's because he heard them singing and praying, or, or because maybe he heard them preaching there in Philippi, or, or whatever it may have been... He knows they have what I need. I need salvation. And so we see there in verse 29 to 30. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It wasn't what must I do to escape the consequences of my circumstance. It wasn't what must I do to feel better about myself. It was what must I do to be saved. He recognized his plight. He recognized his position before God and that he needed salvation. Now again, look at this. Who wouldn't of us, who wouldn't love the opportunity for someone to just come up to us and say, what must I do to be saved? Who wouldn't praise God for that opportunity? Right? But would you say it would certainly make sitting in a prison, not knowing what daylight would bring, worth it? I hope so. And so again, whatever our circumstances are, that we don't know how God is working and how he plans to use our lives as a testimony to others and what opportunity there may be there because of our circumstances, who knows? But if God may bring someone to Christ because of whatever we've gone through and whatever it is, if God's going to glorify himself, however, isn't it worth it? How great and awesome he is. That again, we would trust him in our circumstances and trust that he's doing his good work as he brings about the counsel of his will. This was worth it. Even, even if daylight did bring death for Paul and Silas, to be able to speak and tell this jailer how to be saved, it was worth it. To have a soul come to you and ask, how, how, what must I do to be saved? And clearly the, the jailer's earnest And so, again, they take the opportunity to speak to this man. And what do they tell him? What's the answer to the man's question? Verse 31. Absolutely. Amen. Anything else to add to that? (laughs) Right, exactly. Yes, and that's exactly what Paul says here, right? No, verse 31, And he said to them, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul and Silas must have perceived this man understood his sin and dire need for salvation. And so they simply call him to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And that is it, right? That's it. It's salvation is to those who simply believe. There is nothing else to add to it. And so again, if someone t- were to tell us about our what are we what, what saves us, what is it that, that we're saved by? And we feel the need to go into well, you know, I you know I go to church and I pray, you know, things that we even just discussed. That's not it. Or sometimes, what is it too that we're believing in? Am I believing in the fact that I believe? Uh, am I believing in I, I responded to an altar call and I said a prayer? That's not the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Christ is who saves us. And belief is trusting that what he said he will do, he will do. And so we trust him. Simply believe in him. And that is salvation. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Just believe on Christ. And when we believe, God will do a work in us, right? So there is evidence, fruit of salvation, if we truly are saved. There is repentance that that comes along with salvation. As we turn to Christ, we turn away from our sins, but that's the work that God does in us, giving evidence of our salvation, right? Now, when they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household, uh, I'm going to argue they're being a little prophetic there. And there was something to the fact that when you saw, even if it wasn't Christianity, when the head of the household was converted to a religion, the whole family did follow. Um, but if this man comes to true saving faith, they're saying, listen, I think, again, they're being prophetic here. Your whole household is going to come to faith, too. You will be saved, okay? They're saying, you're, he's saying, you'll be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your household. And so, in context, he's saying the household will be saved, right? We've got to see that. Now, some argue, again, that as the head of the home, what we see here is that being saved, this will sanctify the home, and that's, that's what's in reference. Meaning then that all become part of the, the covenant of grace, and, and this would be what our our... our pes- Thanks you. <laughs> our Presbyterian brothers and sisters would, would say, and, and again, you know I love them to death, and, and I do. And uh, I have such a great appreciation for them. And matter of fact, I've told you before, if it wasn't for some of them, I probably wouldn't be here. Uh, and foremost on that list is a professor I had at, at LBC. Um, and so I have great gratitude and, and appreciation for them. Um, but I think they go amiss here. And I'm sure they can point out where I go amiss in, in, in time too. so. But again, it's the idea here that, okay, so the whole household, and that's why then we see what? The household is baptized. But what else? What, what, what are some of the things that we see going on in the text here? What does all of this say? Again, first, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household, what about your household? They'll be saved. That's, that's what he's saying in context, right? And then what did he say? Verse 32, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So, the gospel is explained, and and it doesn't go into detail everything that they said, but again, the word of the Lord is told to him and the whole house. All right? And then you keep going, and he took them, and he, the jailer, took them, Paul and Silas, that very hour, and he washed their wounds, and he, the jailer, was baptized at once, he and all his family, or household. And so why was the family baptized? Now, some say that when we, as Baptists, we argue, well, you assume that there's no infants in the family. There you go. Yes, that is... That is the response. You're assuming there are infants in the family, in the household. It's an assumption from silence. And granted, we can say we are making an assumption too, but I think there's an education here. Again, what about the household? He'll be saved and the whole household will be saved. Right. Yes. Right. But that's the point, though. What came first? So, faith. Right. And so, if Paul preached to the whole household, and then we see the household is baptized, doesn't only reason through the progression of the text that the household believed and so were baptized. Everyone he preached to was baptized. He preached to the whole household. The whole household was baptized. And so that, that's, in case we run into this argument, in this area, we might, <laughs> right? Uh, that, 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 this is not an argument for, this, this text is often used for infant baptism, but it's just not there. What, what, what text is there for infant baptism? There isn't one. You don't see it in Scripture. Now, there are some who will admit, whether, again, our Presbyterian brothers, Lutheran, Catholic, they'll admit there's no example of infant baptism in scripture but they'll say the progression of the church and you know that that this were new believers and so eventually though it would take place as you understand the covenants but again that's that's an argument from silence not from scripture Um, and so we we need to understand that um okay was that clear or muddy (laughs) clear okay so this is why we baptize the way we... Because what do we see in Scripture? Believe and be baptized, right? Faith always precedes baptism throughout Scripture. Um, and so that, that's what we follow. And again, even in the, the Great Commission, right? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And so what would be the antecedent of them, or what does them point back to? The disciples you've made. Make disciples... Baptizing them, those disciples, right? I'm in agreement with this. So just gonna, like, take it a little bit further. So, is it possible, mm-hmm. like maybe we see today, that even in these times, that people, family, households were being baptized, but not all were believers? Um. So I mean I, I'm not I guess I'm not 100 percent sure where you're going. All would have to be in baptism. All would have made a profession of faith. So I can say that much if I'm following what you're trying to say. Sure, right. Sure, um, right. But we also, to some extent, we we uh, we trust. You know, unless there's evidence that shows we trust that profession of faith until there's evidence not to right? And we, we need to trust that the Lord is the one who does that work. Um, so that's today. There's also evidence of the Spirit. You know, we see in the beginning of the church when people received the Spirit, they spoke in tongues and different things. That was pretty evident of them having the Spirit at that time at the beginning of the church. Um, so uh, there, there, are, there are those differences there. That makes sense? <laughs> okay. Not because God put it here like this, so like every do this household was saved, but like households that were possible, not everybody was saved in that household. But they went through the whole like kids because their parents. Um, sure. I mean, we don't we don't have that example in scripture. Um Yeah, but I mean, there's false. We're told there's false converts. We're told that in scripture, right? That there's that even the church is made up of wheat and tares to be sorted out when Christ comes back. So, yeah. Um, And then, quick, moving on here. Verse 34, then. "Then Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so we see just the joy that comes in knowing salvation, right? Uh, they, they are the hospitality shown to Paul and Silas as the ones who, who showed him and explained to him the gospel, preached to him, uh, that fellowship they have together and eating a meal together, and again, the joy together, his joy, the family's joy that he came to know and believe in, in God. And, and again, for ourselves and for our families, what, what a difference the gospel makes when we believe Uh, and trust in christ and the joy that can be in our homes uh, because we know salvation because we we believe this this god Uh, and so it's it's a a glorious thing that we are, are so thankful for that god has again as we just said gave us this this salvation this justification by grace a gift of his grace right and so we we give him the praise for that any other thoughts or comments on these things No? Okay. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together. Uh, We are are grateful for the truth of your word. Uh, Father, uh, help us to continue to dig in and and see here in Acts all that you have for us as a church, your purpose for your church being in the world, uh, that we may truly honor and glorify you. And uh, so, Father, uh, again, help us to be growing and desiring your word and wanting to know you more, uh, that we may please you in all that we do. Uh, We are grateful, Lord, and uh, we trust that you are conforming us to your will and the power of your spirit. Amen. Thank you.